Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831 Hello, everyone, and welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. You know me, I'm Perry, and clearly we are missing Haley today. Haley is not feeling too well, so let's all send our love in Haley's direction. You better get better soon. We got a lot to discuss, but some of my favorite people in the world, and I don't mean that just like to say an extreme thing. These two people next to me are two of my favorite human beings on this planet. A lot of you already know both of them. Matt Donato and Christy Puchko. Hey! How's it going? I'm so excited right now. Yeah! I was excited to get the call. I'm sad that Haley's not here. Yeah. I'm excited to get the call. I know. It takes two people to fill in for Haley because she's that yeah. powerful. Seriously, that's yeah. what's happening right now. Yeah. Haley was my roommate last year at Fantastic Fest, and she's just the best. We had the best time. We hung out and ate butt cake all night. It was the best time. What's butt cake? I mean, yeah. Oh, the butt, butt cake was unfortunate. <laughs> It is like it, a, a no, in the shape of the butt. Yes. Yeah. There's, uh, I'll have to send you a link because it's on my Instagram from Fantastic Fest, but they, to promote Butt Boy, which is playing at Fantastic Fest, they sent us a cake oh. that looked like a butt with like a remote shoved in it. Uh, it was obviously, when you cut into it, chocolate cake. Okay. And when you get back from screenings at like two in the morning and you're just zapped, like nothing is good as like big cup of milk, butt cake. Or when you're just like incredibly still drunk and <laughs> just start really? devouring butt cake at like three in the morning. This all that applied for me. This is making me think of the the finger cake we got for raw, Ooh. which was quite good. It was red velvet and it was perfect, and it legit had icing on it that looked like a real freaking finger. I was so yeah. Impressed. I um, I didn't understand it was a cake when I saw it. And I was like, why is there just a butt on this table? I feel like now that we're talking about food, I have to say one other thing that's not horror related because I'm so proud of myself. And Christy, you commented on it. I, I know. I'm so excited. I made something. Does, does making a pizza count as cooking? Yes, you cooked. Did you, you make the dough? even. No, they sent us the dough. Like, all, all I had to really do, and I did it all myself, but all I really had to do was, like, preheat the oven and take the dough that they, the, the pizza bread that they send us and, like, put the stuff on it. And then I you put it out. in the oven. You used an oven. You cooked a thing. You melted cheese. I was genuinely so excited. I was afraid it came off as mocking when I responded to your Instagram, but I was like, no, I'm so proud of you. you I know, know like what an the kitchen is for you. But even if someone was mocking me, I would get it because... I, I don't really ever make anything unless it's in the microwave. You don't. Your kitchen is hilarious and always has been. But it's because you're an incredibly busy person. So, like, when I go to your home and I'm like, look at that popcorn. And you're like, oh, did you bring a bowl? I'm like. <laughs> did I ever say that to you? Yes. That happened twice. Well, <laughs> no, that's okay. But the second time I was like, I did bring a bowl. Because now I learned I the first time. 
now that I'm picturing like the cabinet with the paper bowls in them, they're all so small that it's not like an actual popcorn bowl for sharing. That was the problem we had. But the second time we were good. This makes sense. Well, uh, don't worry. I'm taking baby steps in the right direction. And I actually have the HBO uh, Max show Love Life to thank for it, because not only are they pushing me in the right direction as far as the cooking went, but also they sent me real wine glasses. So now I can use those if I so choose. Yeah, for your blue moons, you know. Yeah, I'll pour my blue moon in it tonight, Matt. Um, So the plan for today's witching hour is there's been a lot of horror news that's broken recently, and we haven't really had the chance to talk about it in a while. So we've each picked a story to get into, and we're going to kick it off with mine here. And excuse me if I'm not looking in the right direction, but I want to pull up this Hollywood Reporter article because... There's a lot, a lot to uh, to parse through here. The headline of the article is Blumhouse plans a film shoot on the Universal lot despite insurance risks. And the reason why this story is a very big deal, it's not just because it's Blumhouse and I pay attention to everything Blumhouse does, is because the way the story is being framed, it's that this is the production that could wind up establishing the blueprint for what it's like filming movies in a COVID-19 world. And if they are first out of the gate with this, this is going to be absolutely fascinating to me. And I'm very curious to see what types of things they are allowed to do and what they're not. But also the article does point out, and I think this is very accurate, that the Blumhouse filmmaking model is the perfect model to do something like this with because Blumhouse is a big company. They got the money to back it up, but they are also known for making low budget horror movies. So, you know, you can't have something like a Marvel movie with gigantic stunts that need all this insurance going into production right now. But you can maybe do it on a limited budget like something that Blumhouse would make. So where do you guys stand on this? Are you confident that Blumhouse can pull it off? I mean, I think it makes sense because, as you said, the risks Blumhouse takes, which is kind of their genius, is it's like they're like, here's a couple million if it works, whatever. If it doesn't, you know, we have the boy next door anyway, so it's fine. But (laughs) But the other aspect of this is that they also tend to center their stories in one location. So it makes sense that you could make a Blumhouse movie that way. You know, you pick somebody and you put them in a location that's presumably clean and things like that. And like, depending on how they do it, I think, yeah, I think that could totally work for them. Well, where they would be shooting this is they would do the entirety of it on the Universal lot. So they would be confined to that space. And the report also said that I believe all of the cast and crew would be living in a nearby hotel. So that's another thing in order to keep everybody safe. So they would be like quarantining themselves in a way just for the shoot. And everyone... a quarantine bubble for yeah. production. Is that the idea? Yeah, I think that that's what I'm picturing based on how this article is written. And, you know, I'm assuming that that cast and crew would also have to take, you know, before and after precautions where all those individuals would probably have to isolate themselves for two weeks before joining that company. And then also after going back to their everyday lives. Mm hmm. Well, then I think about, too, like they're into the dark stuff. You know, some of those require such a small cast and it requires, you know, a director. The writer doesn't have to be on set. And you think about all the people that have to be there. And also thinking about the fact that they do into the dark pretty breakneck and they're probably going to run out of content very soon if they don't start filming again. So I think that might be pushing a little bit of that Um, as for the insurance stuff. I think that gets a little dicey. I, I know Blumhouse is willing to risk it, and, and that's fine. Someone has to be the pioneer. Someone has to try it. But when you start talking about the insurance implications, and if you can't be insured on a film set, I mean, that's a huge deal. Because if one person contracts COVID or one person, something happens, they're going to, like, it's a payday for them. Like, it's going to be huge. And that might scare people off in the future then. Yeah, I'm not sure how the the typical elements of film insurance are affected, but I I do believe they would not be able to be covered for no, yeah. COVID-19. And mm-hmm. in this article, it does say at this point, embattled insurers won't cover that. So that could be a major thing. And that also, again, emphasizes how perfect a Blumhouse size production could be for something like this, because it's like, if, if you can't insure a company this big for something like that, it's very different than like a gigantic Marvel production with hundreds and hundreds of people on that set 
Right. But we've also seen like factories, if they're doing it like factories have been doing it, like what factories did was essentially like, okay, everyone's going to work here for this amount of weeks. We're all going to live together. We're not going to go anywhere else. So if they're doing something like that. The fact that there's a hotel involved makes it, I'm real curious what their precautionary measures are going to be. Cause like no one's taking this stuff lightly in this industry. So to pursue this, I feel like they must have some sort of plan. I'll be really curious to see how this shakes out. We've been uh, so Last week, we recorded a witching hour early with Greg Nicotero before the release of Creepshow on Blu-ray June 2nd, I believe. And we did ask him about, you know, specifically like his corner of the industry, what their policies are going to be. But he was also talking about like just very general, basic film set practices, like even not having craft service. Like he was yeah. talking about maybe them having to switch to to French hours where people are sent home to have their meals. And just maybe having like a like a shorter day where they spend X amount of hours on set and then they all go home and they they eat their lunch and whatever and come back. And I don't know. It's just like even though we need and Blumhouse in particular and all studios for that matter, they need product to be able to pull out to be able to put out to start making money again. Think about how many people would still lose their jobs if something like this went into practice because you completely cut out the entire food industry. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like extras too. I, like you know, extras are going to yeah. be a thing of the past for a little bit because you just need to keep numbers down, and you can't have crowded scenes anymore. You can't have you know, if it's a restaurant scene, it has to be social distancing and stuff of that nature. So, yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of things are going to get lost in the shuffle. But then it's the thing; it, it becomes a it's, a it's a balance. Like, do we jump back into it? Do we try something new? And yes, a bunch of people are going to lose their jobs, but in the same respect, we're going to get some people back in. Or do we just stay completely shut down until we're ready? And that's the question. Well, I think that, you know, film has always been an industry that has had to evolve with the times, whatever that means. And sometimes that means responding to cultural issues. And sometimes that means responding to labor issues. And I think that this is going to radically change the way we see productions happen for the next genuinely one to five years, at least, honestly. Because some of the movies that that they're going to make now, we won't see for a while, whatever. But I think it's also a test of ingenuity of filmmakers that like this could be a big shot for people that don't have that many, uh, you know, have have that much money or assets in their corner. Because right now it's like if you could make a movie on your own with like a small bubble of people and make it good, like you're going to have a shot and, you know, the next year to really get attention for that. Yeah. And I keep thinking about, you know, the one joke or you know anecdote people keep saying is like every filmmaker right now is probably writing a quarantine script and every filmmaker is going to try to pitch their like pandemic thing and like this just sounds so exhausting a hundred percent i'm already every time someone's like so and so sold a quarantine like no i don't i don't want it i don't want it i don't want it i don't want it in the same in the same breath um i i agree with you 100 percent, christy because i that was my exact reaction like great we're gonna get a bunch of like selfie movies of people stuck in their apartments and stuff like that uh but i i think no, no, she can do the, uh, she can do the thing, but yeah, no. So I think the issue is more that we have that initial reaction, but then I just saw this random thirty-minute short that's a sequel to One Cut of the Dead that brings the One Cut of the Dead team back together, and it's like they did exactly what I was afraid of. They made a remote uh, sequel, I guess I would say, about mm-hmm. people trying to create in this weird, weird, strange right. day, Mythic and it's actually it's so impactful. Yeah, well, Mythic Quest just did an episode that's right. hitting today, uh, and and they just announced that uh, Martin Sheen or not Martin Sheen, Michael Sheen Mike and Sheen. David Tennant are doing a TV series that they're filming now remotely. Mm-hmm. That's going to be about actors who've been furloughed from their West End play, and then right. they rehearse this way. And so, like stuff like that, I don't mind because it's kind of of the moment. But I don't, I don't want to when we get to go back to film festivals just get hit with a barrage of like, here's another quarantine. Oh, wait, you mean how I'm covering Chattanooga this weekend. And one of the movies I'm covering is called literally called like pandemic horror anthology. And what it was, was a call that went out online that asked filmmakers to make their best quarantine movie in the quarantine. And they just cobbled this together. Like, for Chattanooga, and I'm like, here's the thing. Oh boy, oh boy. I'm sure there are people who will have very interesting things to say about the quarantine, and more power to them. And I actually saw a short that I'm not allowed to talk about that uh, was really funny and very inventive, and was like a quarantine rom com that was kind of genius. 
So it's not that it can't be done. It's just that I feel like we are overestimating wildly uh, Perry lost power. She'll be back. Uh, now it's the witching hour with Matt and Christy, and we own completely it. taken over Collider. It's a coup. Um, no, <laughs> I think that there could be good stuff that comes out of quarantine, like creatively, but I feel like also with. So, hey, have you guys been in here the entire time? Yep. Yes. Yeah, we've been fine. You've been, been talking while I've been gone. Yeah. It's been weird. I was like, did Perry leave? And Matt's like, it's fine. And then I got your text message. It's like, I lost power. We just did kept rolling. Not, did you like not break stride with the conversation? Yeah. No. I mean, we noticed you were gone. We also we didn't, didn't notice at all, Perry. <laughs> I am so impressed right now. But all like I heard, Perry, I, heard a pop, I heard a pop outside and then everything went black. But like I'm the host of this broadcast room. I'm just like I'm very impressed that StreamYard is still up and running. It's, and it's, it's been saying live the whole time. Yeah, it's been yeah. live. So I was like, Does okay. That okay. We're well, just yeah, talking about, about uh, recording in the quarantine. quarantine movies could work. And we agreed like oh, yeah. we also don't have a big stomach for them. Yeah, I'm going to get full of those real quick. But oh, like uh, yeah, just what like about if, quarantine. If pe- oh, about or people no, well, recording in the quarantine about during is a good idea if they're careful about it. I feel like if your yeah. your go to though is like I'm going to make the quarantine movie no one's thought of. They probably have. Please don't. Yeah, Haley and I have talked about that with each other before, and it's like like it, it's it's too soon. Yeah. If, if anything, I feel like uh, the the pendulum might shift over to. Like maybe an influx of happier, more uplifting movies. I think once things start rolling again, absolutely. The other thing we've also discussed, which I'd be curious to get your take on, is given the fact that we are all right smack in the middle of, you know, a pandemic, which we've seen a lot on screen and also just a very real, very horrifying situation. What other very familiar horror subgenres are going to have to fade away for a little while because they're not scary anymore? Oh, interesting. Well, I think it's interesting, though, because, like, what horror tends to reflect is what are we afraid of? I think, and I know we're seeing this already because people are opportunistic jerks, and I know, Matt, I think you even reviewed this. Like, I think you're going to see zombie movies taking on a new tone because zombie movies have always been about a terror of catching something, whether it's, like, consumerism or conformity or Alzheimer's or there's always been a fear of, like, what if I become someone I don't recognize? So I feel like you, there's definitely going to be like zombie quarantine movies that come out of this. Cause there already have been like a lot of zombie movies are already quarantine movies. A really good one was that French one that came out a couple of years ago. Something about oh, the, the, night. the night. Yeah. The night I'm blanking right now. It's on Amazon Prime the night or something. Oh, I can't remember the name, but that yeah. was really good. But it's about a guy who like, fall, he passes out at a party and wakes up the next morning. And the whole world has been attacked by zombies and he's like stuck in someone else's apartment yeah. trying to live. And it's a really interesting movie. So I think you'll see stuff like that, but it's just a question of like, I don't, not everybody wants to process their anxiety through horror. A lot of yeah. people aren't thinking about it that overtly. So I feel like it'll be interesting to see, what emerges out of this. I think zombie movies will come back because of this, but I'm curious to see what else we're afraid of. Well, and there was also my anxiety through her. I I totally do, but I know a lot of people that are like, I'm feeling nervous. Why would I want to watch a horror movie? Like, there was that whole story about, uh, you know, theaters and wanting to reopen and then people being polled, like the audience members who would be coming back to theaters and there was a breakdown of genres that they wanted to see. And this was only a thousand people that were polled, but, you know, just a general poll, not film fans, specifically not horror fans. And 43% of that vote went to comedies. Comedies yeah. was by and far the top. That's all they wanted to see. Horror only got 19%. And it, it, again, this is just a small subset of a thousand people that were polled. We know horror fans. We know we're, we're always going to go back to that. But I mean, the truth is the general public I, I agree. Like they didn't even put um, superhero movies. Superhero movies was number three, and it was yeah. like I think it was just about thirty percent. Like they just want straight up comedies. But the weird thing to say in this whole thing is that straight up comedies are kind of vacating the theater model. Straight up comedies are the ones that are going to VOD, right? Quickest. Because people like, want them now, right? Because like it, you know, Lovebirds might kill today. But if it opens a year and a half from now, is it going to do as well? No, not at all. And and that's the thing. I think in a way, like this might be studios conceding a little bit that, Hey, the mainstream comedy doesn't have to go to theaters. We don't have to kind of spend all this money on it because again, the lovebirds, great example that goes right 
to Netflix. And that goes to a bunch of people that can see it immediately. And it's going to have it. I saw saw it again. Um, It's going to have its moment at once. And she's just frozen on the screen. Perry is just blinking. Freezing at moments where it looks like she's judging us. Yeah. She's like, (laughs) what are you talking about, Donato? She's the least judgmental person ever, but it just keeps choosing these screens. She's like, Comedy will always live in the theaters. What What do you mean it's going to VOD? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's gone completely. It's fine. <laughs> We're going to carry the witching hour. This is good. The witching yeah, hour talking no, about no, comedies on no, Netflix. I, I think that you're right. I think that this is, like, horror is going to continue to be a thing, but, yeah. like, Bloomhouse has always only needed a small subset. And, like, you know, The Invisible Man did really well when it came did- to VOD. I think that there will always be a place for horror. I'm not worried about no, horror. Not at all. I am curious to see how are like what monster becomes like the new thing i do think zombies are a good contender but also it could go haunted house movies because have you so easy. Profession, have you read there are so many news articles now about people who are like i didn't think my house was haunted before but now <laughs> until i'm stuck here right because people are like well people are home a lot more and i read all these stories all these people who are like look no it's not just like oh there was a creek like someone was rattling my door and my i haven't read these yet this is fantastic it's so good. I love them so much. Like I read them and I'm like, it's like Dear David for me where I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah, bring it. I'm so excited. So yeah, I feel like that could be a fun thing where, especially when we can get out again, I think that might be something people really want to tap into because you can kind of relive it, but in a fun cathartic way. I think there's that you just brought up a great point that made me think about a whole horror subset about people reemerging into the public. And there being this whole weird transition period where we don't really like we might lose some cues and stuff like that. And the the Denzians and the bad people can actually navigate our social world in a lot easier terms. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard. It feels it feels very hard and silly to try to predict. Be like, like we've like in our lifetimes, we've never seen anything like this. Like the world has. We've seen. Right. The world has seen pandemics, but not in the time of like modern film. Like I think the last pandemic people really talk about was 1918, right? Yeah, and that's not that's a little while ago. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't say 1918 because obviously like AIDS in the 80s was a pandemic, but right. it was it was not a pandemic like this where it was shutting down society. Yeah, this is a global lockdown. I mean, and, yeah, you know, I don't mean to take lightly the right. AIDS. But no, no. As far as this kind of thing, and I mean, even then, you saw in the eighties, there's there's so much art about that and about the fear of that, and like, which reminds me, have you yet seen the documentary about Freddie too? Hi. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah Hi, yeah. Freddie. Welcome to our podcast. What is happening? We're just talking about the future of horror and what it can do in the, after the pandemic. But it's seriously every time it happens, it's like something pops or explodes out outside, and then Harry's haunted. Black. Harry's haunted. Her parents' house is haunted. I almost wish that you could see what it looks like from my angle because I feel like it's even more dramatic because it's like then the ring light goes out, like everything goes out, and it's shockingly dark for the day is it like an electrical box outside like is it one of like the telephone poles or like no clue and we have a we have a generator too so i think everything is like getting confused with how to turn back on and i don't like i don't know what's going on well i was just telling matt that i feel like a a horror genre that could catch on once things like come back into the real would be horror movies where people are stuck at home and then realize their house is haunted because i keep reading news stories about it and they're my favorite Oh, those I like. What are these news stories and where do I read them? The New York Times ran one. I think one was Washington Post, but the New York Times ran one. It was like six different people being like, no, you don't understand. The shutters were just rattling. It's so, I loved it. I was like, Like the wind? No, because he said the window was closed. You have to, I'll have to find you the link. It's because it was just like everyone. I was like, "Mm, yes, give it to me. Adapt all of these. Like, that actually sounds like a really, like a smart idea too, where you can't leave. Well, P also, it's like one of those things that you're, you're, that are far enough removed from reality, but because we're all stuck at home, you can't get it out of your head. It like would have the paranormal activity like effect. Right. Like, cause like, that's the thing. It's like when you go to a theater and you see a haunted house movie, you're like, that's pretty scary. And then you get home and you're like, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. When you're in a theater, you're surrounded by people. When you're home, you are alone and you're like, wait, where the fuck are the people? Like, right. No. Like when we saw Hereditary, Matt, which I know is not technically haunted house, but it's similar oh. in its vibe. Matt, I was having a full on panic attack watching that movie. And then I got back to where I was staying and I couldn't turn the lights off because I kept staring at the ceiling and just being like, no, Tony Collette, no. Like, <laughs> No, Perry, uh, sorry, Christy literally leaned over and was like, I'm dry heaving. I'm so nervous right now. And I was like, I apologize. I know I, I can hear. I was worried it was distracting, but I was literally like, 
Man, I miss seeing your like super vocal animated reactions to movies on the regular. Yeah, people who aren't familiar with me, all of this just it's not an act, it's just what happens all the time. This is like the muted version. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So have you guys talked about any other stories? No, <laughs> we did we not. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> new with this podcast hosting yeah. thing. We did. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're ace in it. You're doing better than I am today. We do have a little rundown, though. And the next item on the rundown is another Blumhouse story that Christy's super into. And I actually, like, I don't know anything about this. So I'm glad that you wanted to talk about it. So what you got for us? Okay. So as you know, some of my favorite things to watch are horror and true crime. And they're coming together to have a weird, horrible baby. So Blumhouse also bought the rights to a podcast called The Thing About Pam. Which, based on the title, what do you think the thing about Pam is about? She's like a secret serial killer or something, or something of that nature? Ding, ding, ding! What? Yeah. No, I know. But it's an NBC Dateline podcast that the day they announced this, I binged all of it. It's not very long. Um, And it begins with this horrible true murder story uh, about this woman who was found dead in her home and her husband called 911. And he's like, my wife's been killed. Or no, he said, I think he said his wife, he thought his wife killed herself. And the cops show up and they're like, she definitely didn't. So we're looking at you, bud. And he was like, I was getting stoned and playing with my friends. I don't know what happened here. And it's this very interesting story about like this wrongful conviction and like, what does Pam have to do with it? And like, it's it's so crazy. I don't want to give away all the details because the the story is so nuts. But one of the fascinating things about it is Pam kind of started taunting the media while all this was going on. Like the media was like, "So this lady's real shady. Why aren't we talking about her more?" And the cops were like, bah, 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 "We got this." And then she started kind of calling out the media in very weird ways. So they're going to take the podcast and turn it into a, t- a limited TV series. And I'm very excited about it. I think it'll be really scary and very upsetting. And uh, I think that they'll probably center it on the news reporter or the news producer who they talk about in the podcast, because for her, it's like another day at the office and someone's like, do you hear about this murder story? And she's like, no, I didn't. And then she starts researching it and then she's like, this is crazy. And then she basically keeps being like, this is crazy. And the cops are like, but, but, but we got this. And so I feel like following her journey would be really interesting. Um, but yeah, it's a crazy story. I highly recommend the podcast. The thing about Pam and uh, I'm very excited to see how they turned it into a show. Can we, can we listen to that on just like, I don't know, Apple Podcasts or yeah, anything? Yeah, I literally downloaded all of it Tuesday or whenever they announced this. Tuesday or what? I don't know what days are anymore. But I don't it, think I do. Yeah, I'm fairly certain it was this week. But we, I listened to like all of it and I had like had it on while I was doing stuff. So then my husband would just occasionally be like, oh, what? She did what? I was like, the thing about Pam, she's out there. <laughs> Like, so what is this lead role, the potential lead role you're talking about here? It's like, who should we start to picture in that kind of capacity? I don't know what the actual producer looks like, but in my mind, if we produce, uh, like her name was Kathy. I forget her last name. I don't know why I said it like that. She doesn't talk like that. I just think that's how I, I have to pronounce Kathy. It's all Kathy sounds Kathy. the same to you. But like Kathy should be someone who is like a little older, a little more mature. Like she's been working at NBC. She's a bit of a hardened producer. She's looking for the story. She's looking for the truth. But then she kind of has the rug pulled out from under her. So I think you should imagine kind of like someone like Naomi Watts in the ring or something who like seems like a grout and kind of together person. Maybe that's not the best example because she's still kind of like not great at things, but like somebody who seems competent so that when things get thrown at her and she's kind of like, what is going on? You like really feel upset for her. Cause you're like, Oh no, but she was so together. You know what I mean? Okay. Like in my mind, like Rosemary DeWitt would be great. Like, you know what I mean? Someone who's like grounded and you're like, you'd be like, yeah, she's got this. And then stuff goes nuts or like I Rebecca Hall. Like I'm trying to like, yeah, rack my brain. Cause I feel like I just saw a performance that I described that exact way this year. And I'm like, who was it? Like, what was I talking about? I don't yeah. remember. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, uh, Elizabeth Moss is great at everything. She'd be great. Like, oh, you know, Betty Gilpin actually would be really good in this. <sighs> Betty Gilpin would be good in anything though. More Gilpin. Totally. But it's like, we love her for the hunt, bring her into this. And she gets to be like, you know, she's like solid, serious businesswoman, and things start getting crazy. And she's like, mm, and you're like, oh no, Betty. Yeah. It's kind of fun to have something uh, to picture when I go and listen to it now. Yeah. Please put picture Betty Gilpin every time Kathy talks. So I how much, I how much do you really think like. would be like about 
Pam? Like, how much of screen? I think Pam's the antagonist. So I feel like what happens is that, like, the film, I think the film or the, the TV show, in my mind, if I were writing it, it would be split between what Kathy is doing and then revealing what Pam is doing. Like, Kathy would, like, hear a snippet of something and be like, what? And then it would, like, we, but you wouldn't find out everything Pam's been up to until the end. Because that's how, like, the podcast works, where they're like, yeah, and then there was this weird thing, but they don't lay it all out for you. And then at the end, like, and, like, at the end of the podcast, they don't have answers to everything. They're basically like, she definitely killed this person. She maybe killed this one. She probably killed this person. Also, there's this other case. Like, it's interesting, because, like, the end of the podcast, they're clearly like, well, we've hit our deadline. This is what we have. But now, a little more time has passed, and also, they get to be a little fictitious, because... It's a TV show. So it'll be curious to see how they spin this. I am very intrigued right now. They didn't announce a, a director or anything, though, right? I don't think so. I think at this point, it's just like they're teaming with NBC to get it made, which is the other thing. The fact that they kept mentioning NBC, which like NBC is owned by Universal. So that's also a lot of branding. But it made me feel like the the Dateline team that's talked about in the show is going to be an integral part of the characters. Mm. Okay, no, that, that all makes sense. It's not pure speculation on my part, but I feel like I feel good about I'm it. I'm super into it. I can't wait to go listen to this right now. I got to finish my my Pose binge watch over the weekend, but once that's done, I'll zip on over to that. There you go. Yeah, really, it's they're short episodes. I got through it all pretty quick. Okay, I'm into it. All right, Matt, you brought us a story too. Actually, you you've got two of them. I was gonna say it's two parter. You got the uh, midnight package here. Totally. I, f- I figured that was fitting for me because I've been ranting online for weeks now about how horror is still coming out and how we should still be supporting movies that are coming out. We shouldn't forget that. Also the color red. Yeah. Yeah. Also the color red. A lot of that. And, uh, Notably, still- you're the only person here who did not bring red. Perry's got a background wall. This is a good point. I And I went blue. I went like I tried to do something different with my star. I do like the Ooh, which reminds me, I'm wearing a, I have to pull it up. It is a T-Rex riding a BMX. That makes sense. This is for the two of you, because I felt like it's a shirt that Matt would wear and also that Perry would appreciate. I just love BMX. <laughs> anyway, I was saying something. Yeah, that's right. About IFC nope. Midnight. And IFC, that sorry. I have Yeah, so the story I wanted to bring is like, it's a, it's a good story. It's something positive, because we keep talking about films that are getting pushed back. But as I said, horror is still releasing, and not only that, but indie movies. And not only are they releasing on VOD... But IFC Midnight and IFC Films has been pushing their films to drive-in theaters. And they've been open for weeks now. And it was just reported that their film, The Wretched, which is a a witch-in-the-woods kind of story, a little bit simple, but also, you know, effective at times. And they do really good creature effects. And I enjoyed it. So it's been playing for a few weeks now in in, uh, 11 locations. So 11 drive-ins around the the U.S. And it's already amassed uh, 300,000. Like, it, it sounds like nothing. But for, for eleven drive-ins in two thousand five, exactly. exactly. Well, so for eleven drive-in theaters, the wretched have cost to make. Yeah, um, it doesn't look like a very high. I mean, probably, probably, I don't think that is a plan. Yeah, I was gonna say it. It did not. It was not a big budget film. So yeah. I mean, just the fact though, like it, you couple that with VOD, obviously, because mm-hmm. you can get it on VOD. It's been out for a few weeks now, but yeah. So it was the number one at the box office uh, last week with eighty five thousand dollars. Which, it, you know, it's it's nice to see that, yes, people still want to see movies out, and there is a way to do so. These drive-in theaters, you can be in your car. You don't have to get out. You can it, – it's self-contained. Really good movie to watch at a drive-in because yeah. it's just enough of a, like – what is that sound outside? Right. And like, we haven't gotten that kind of vibe in such a long time. Like it's like a nostalgic throwback thing that almost makes people think like, why haven't we been doing this the whole time? You know, like IFC is taking over drive-ins and they're putting out stuff like this. And you know, this leads into that. They have a movie called relic coming out, I believe in July. Yeah. They Um, did release the teaser. Right. So that teaser just hit yesterday or the day before. And I mean, it, it slayed Sundance. So many critics I talked to that went to Sundance. It's their favorite horror movie of the year. And they're repping it as such. And they're like, yeah, it won't be taken down. So the fact that IFC has these stellar horror films that they are putting out and still putting out into drive-ins that you can go out and enjoy yourself a little bit, at least it's the horror community staying alive and it's the horror community supporting itself. And that's, you know, that's why I think like horror is the one genre that was, I'm not saying was ready for this, but it's the one genre that can kind of thrive and not really go off chart or go off course here. Also, because, like, in my opinion, well, well, not this is an opinion. Horror movies can be shot for next to nothing and still be great. 
And then uh, on top of that, you have so many really interesting filmmakers who can work within that genre and do different things. And IFC Midnight has been killing it. They did Swallow this year, which was amazing. Swallow is so good. Yeah, they had Greener Grass last year, which is like a dark comedy slash horror movie that's now on Hulu and super hilarious and very weird. Like, they make such awesome stuff that every time I get an email that's like, IFC Midnight, I'm like, done. Send me the screener. I'm in. Like, I, I want to see it because, like, I know that's going to be something interesting. Oh, and Knives and Skin, which was one of my favorite oh, it's also nice to see IFC really like, you know, working with what's going on right now because the next movie behind The Wretched at the box office right now is How to Build a Girl, which yeah. is also an IFC, not IFC Midnight, but an IFC yeah. release. So, I mean, you got to work with what you have right now. And really, the headlines about The Wretched making as much as it did, that that actually like encouraged me to seek out a yeah. drive-in movie theater, which, I mean, like never would have crossed my mind otherwise, because I've been pretty happy with my ass in a chair just watching things on demand right now, but now I really want to go out and see it like that. Are you going to go to the drive-in? So... After our brief Google search about local, I don't have the mini. The mini is still in LA. The mini, oh, okay, that's that is bigger than your car. The mini is likely, uh, it likely has a dead battery by now. But we looked up like local events, and there is like a local. I don't think it's something like that would uh, contribute. Oh, to the box office, deep- but a local park is doing like one of those blow up screens where people sure. can park their car in the uh, in the parking lot around it. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's do that. doing that near us, but you know. It's New York. There's not a lot of cars. Uh, I don't know. I was going to say somehow come out to Long Island, but like, I don't know how that would happen. It'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, why not? Um, I did see Relic at uh, Sundance, though, and I liked it a lot. Did you see it, Christy? You're looking. I haven't at seen it. I'm very excited. I, uh, I'm going to see it soon. I just I have not had a chance yet. I think it would be a very you movie, but there's a lot of things I love about Relic. I don't want to spoil anything about it, but I will say it is one of my, I'm not going to say it's my favorite horror movie of the year, but it is one of my favorite third acts that I've seen. Yeah. What I hear. I don't know anything about the third act, but a lot of the pull quotes in the teaser were like, the third act it is. is- extremely ambitious and it is very, very well executed. And I'm also just so hugely impressed by how it's a feature directorial debut because it's not the kind of concept and it's not the kind of, you know, slow burn format that can work unless the director has like the perfect handle on like the tone, the pacing, the style, you name it. And she does. I always reverse her name, which is why I'm hesitant to say it. Natalie Erica James, I believe. I'm going to double check that. I forget. Now you said that. And now I'm like, I, or is it? Oh, I I think I got, yeah. Natalie Erica James. I have this terrible like fear of when someone has like three names of flip them, which I tend to do all the time. Even if they have two names that could be first names. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I'll flip it. do it. You know, Lonnie still can't say Channing Tatum. What does she Why? say? I think she I think she says that like she almost like spoonerisms it, but doesn't. Like which would be tan tanning Chatham. Maybe she does maybe she does say that actually. But why? I don't <laughs> like, know. What would ever start that? I, I don't know. But it's just like one of those things where like, you know, when you want to say something in a flash and if you've been saying it wrong, you automatically say the wrong thing. It's like, have you ever have you ever read a book and you pronounce? No, it I've never read a book. <laughs> I've never read a book. I teed, I teed that up too easy for you. You've read a book and you're pronouncing a character's name in your head one way, but then you hear it said out loud and you're like, shit, I've been saying it wrong the whole time. That's one of my favorite things on reality shows where you see someone saying a word they've definitely read in books, but never heard aloud because in college, (laughs) my professor was like giving lectures and I was like, what is that word? He just, that's how you pronounce it. It happens so often, but man, but there's even situations where like, I know I'm pronouncing it wrong as I'm reading it. It's like, you know, in Dr. Sleep, how the young girl's name is Abra, like as in abracadabra. I went to school with someone who spelled it the same way, but she said Abra. So it's like, as I read that entire book, I still said Abra in my head. And then in my junket interviews, you can catch me numerous times saying like first Abra, but then I'll say Abra and then I'll go back. That's like a Shersha Ronan. I know how to say her name. Can you spell her name? I can. And it's because I mispronounce it in my head before I say it. But I'm like, you get it out, get it out internally. And then. Because it's like, so I, basically I say it phonetically in my head just so I can write it. Not even phonetically. I like say it like it looks so that I can spell it properly when I spell it. And then in my head, I'm like, and now say it right. Sure, sure. Or as RuPaul, RuPaul literally calls her Sir Shaw. 
Like she without her because she had seen I forget what she saw. She saw some movie that she did and she was like, I love this. Sir Shaw James is amazing. And I was like, that well that's <laughs> that's, that's just that's your name. You're <laughs> yeah. Sir Shaw Ronan. Oh, that helps. Whatever works. I'm just proud totally. of myself right now that I could say uh David Dasmalchin's name correctly. Because that was a problem for me for a while. Yeah. He corrected me. I said it wrong on a movie talk episode once, and I think Ooh, someone yeah. tweeted at him. Not not to call me out or anything. Yeah. No, it's just like, that's always my nightmare. Because it's yeah. like I'm, he did it. No, he did it in a really appropriate way, and I'm kind of I'm kind of glad he did it because now I'm saying his name properly. No, that's smart. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny because like I had a whole conversation when I did the junket for uh, Frank before I went into the room with Michael Fassbender and Mr. Gleason, and then as soon as I walked in. <laughs> I did yep. not remember how to pronounce his name, and now I'm afraid to say it because I yep. in my head, I'm like the like the switch of this is right and this is wrong is just like in the midway mark, and it's like mm. Donald Gleason. Yeah, it's I was gonna Donald, say- right. It's Donald. Yeah, yeah. I was like, as soon as I sat down, I was like, is it? Is it Donald? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was like I went on a movie talk one time, and I wanted to bring up uh, the director of the lore. So I was like, oh, man, how am I going to say this name? Because, like, I don't even want to know what I was going to say the first time. So I, like, Googled yeah. how to pronounce it on my phone. And, like, Perry's trying to watch a movie or something, like, really quick before and, like, watch a scene. And all she hears is my phone just saying Agnieszka Smolchenska over and over again. And she's like, the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I just want to, like, remember this name so I do not we mess all this have up. our mantras. Yep. Yeah. Agnieszka Smolchenska. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, instead of Marishka Hargitay. Oh, I just need a love guru reference. That's... Who does that? Quarantine's getting bleak. Yeah, that's that's your breaking moment. We know Christy's broken when she references the love guru. Oh, man. (laughs) We do have one more big story to get to, and it's the fact that I can't believe I'm saying this, but I can kind of believe it because I feel like the the way was paved to this moment enough that I believe it now. David Arquette is officially returning to the Scream franchise for Scream 5, and I believe he is the only one who Spyglass has officially confirmed as far as the OGs returning to Scream 5, right? Yeah, Nev hasn't confirmed, confirmed. She's like, she's spoken about it in interviews for the castle on the ground, but nothing as far as a, a confirmation from the Matthew Willard's like, yo, bro, bring me I'll back into this. Back, why not? I'm ready. I'm not uh, doing Scooby anymore. Call me. Yeah. Lost people, that to Will Forte. People are very sore about the fact that he did not get that voice acting role. And I can kind of understand it because he was a very good Shaggy. A lot. Yeah. A lot of those actors, because I follow Grey Delise on uh, Twitter and she was, she was like, yeah, no, I'm not in this one. Not, I mean, not that Will Forte did a bad job. I definitely no, it's just that these two people have been doing it for like 20 years. And then they're like, never mind, bye. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. But anyway, Scream 5. I, Dewey. I, I, Dewey's back. Oh, I thought, like, is he doing something? What's oh, no. I'm sorry. I meant the actual character. I just, like, immediately yeah. thought what's going to fall over and break now. Dewey's is behind Dewey Perry. Was, like, the Dewey in my head to the point when Perry was like, yeah, we're going to talk about Deputy Dewey, Dewey being in Scream <laughs> 5. And I said, what do you mean? Because, I'm like, I don't like your cat. And I was like, why Dewey. would I talk about that? What are we talking Dewey about? Dewey was a star. We all knew it. And he was cat. He is the lead in the new Scream. I mean, there's still time. <laughs> Radio Silence, uh, Dewey is very excited to work with you. He prefers a, uh, a very specific type of food at uh, at Crafty and at lunch, so make sure you adhere to his diet. Otherwise, there will be vomit all over your set. That was TMI. Um, sorry, he's just been in, like, a throw-up mode. What so a diva. He's vomit right now. What are we talking about? We're talking about, like, the actual the movie. Dewey the movie screen five. Five. human being being in the movie. Um, yes. So, I'm, I'm happy that this confirms that or it's close to i think it no i think it does confirm that this movie is going to continue the story that the other movies started and then we're not going to get a reboot what i don't think is fully confirmed yet and i think i've just gotten overly obsessed with the possibility of this happening i don't really think it's going to but i'm so nervous about it is the possibility of them retconning any of the franchise there because i understand that some screen movies are better than others but none of them are bad enough to say that this needs to be removed from the franchise. So I'm just like, I'm praying that it picks up, you know, not necessarily right where Scream 4 left off, but while keeping all of what happened to them intact. And in which case, I do think that requires the return of Ned Campbell and Courtney Cox as well. So I've been, so last night I watched Scream 1 through 3. So I've, I've just binged the first three because I wanted a refresher 
and I'll do four right after this, honestly, uh, so I can catch up immediately. And I, I agree with what you say to a degree, but Scream 3 did not play the same way for me on a rewatch. Like, Scream 3 fell completely flat. It, it, to me, it's like the seat of Chucky of the Scream franchise, where it just goes full comedy, and it goes full, like... Chuckle fuckery, if we want to call it that. Chucky is not amazing? What's happening? No, and I was just about to say, but I actually like Speed of Chucky, where Scream 3, it's trying to do all these things where it's making fun of the tropes, and it's going so meta, so crazy. But all it does in doing so is become beholden to the same tropes it's making fun of, and it ends up being a reductive practice. It it doesn't be... It's not meta anymore. It's just a generic slasher movie Mm. that's laughing at itself when it's not funny. So to me... Sorry, I was just you. Can, I want you to finish your thought. I was just curious what Perry is afraid specifically they might get rid of. I'm I'm afraid of. Well, you know the what Matt just expressed is is the general sentiment of the franchise that Scream Three is the worst. In which case, maybe they would be tempted to go back to Scream Two and call Scream Five, you know, technically Scream Three, and cut and off the race and Scream Four cut off the story after the fact because. My my biggest issue, I I think what you just said, Matt, is pretty accurate, but it still works for me as a Scream lover. Even though the tone is drastically different, I still enjoy watching it because I'm so attached to those characters. And I don't know, I do find the, the comedy that they veer towards in that movie effective for me, at least. The biggest problem in that movie, though, is what they do to the original Scream with the twist in the movie and with Roman, the character. That's the story problem. And I'm afraid that that story problem will be too tempting to get rid of entirely, in which case you have to get rid of Scream 3 and Scream 4. Yeah, and and that's an issue. And also what I'm a little worried about is the running gag through Scream is that Dewey should be dead in every movie. And he never dies. Like, I mean, Scream 2, he has a bloody, gory scene where he's spitting blood and should not be alive. And yet he does make it to the end because that's the trope they're they're subverting. They're saying, nope, Dewey's right. always going to live. He's the good guy. He's always going to live. What about Scream 5 now? You've done that gag so many times. Can you really do it again? Just make a documentary that's called, like, You Can't Kill David Arquette. Yeah, he did. He, he Yeah, he 100% did. Like, imagine that karmatic fate where he makes that documentary and then he doesn't make it through screen five, because I think that's a possibility. I think now knowing he's a, in part of the like primary cast, I think you can't pull the let's almost kill him again to have him live at mm-hmm. the end where either he's going to live outright and there's not that gag's going to be done or he going to die. You can't do that right. again. And you also, I don't think, can't kill the original trio. I, why not? I don't That's exactly that. what Oh my god, what say. if we time I don't, out, what, what if right? this one opens with him being the new Casey and getting killed off through Barry no, Morse? Because that's cotton all over again. You and they confirm he's part of the he's a lead he's a lead role. So we do know he's a lead role. So but this is true. No, it I is mean, cotton all over. Barry Moore was all over those ads. Fair, and fair it's point. Not like PR people don't I think they did the same thing with Liev Shriver for Scream 3. I think he was, like, all over the poster, too. Oh, yeah, but, like, Liev Shriver's not, like, a beloved character. So that didn't, like... Because you said that, and I was like, what do you mean? And then I was like, oh... Okay. They, they, they might, really yeah. give him a pretty big boost. Oh, no, he's not on the poster. But they did really give him a big boost in uh, Scream 2. Yeah. Sure, sure. I, I just mean, like, I feel like that's that's different. I feel like if they're trying to be like, no, this scream is going to be different. It's worth your money because this one's intense. Then you kill Dewey in the first act. Matt, what were we talking about during the merry hour? Is is like, did you come up with this idea that it's that it's like another another layer of meta ness? Another layer of meta ness. Another layer of meta. Another layer of meta. A meta layer. No, but like I don't, I don't have this clearly mapped in, yeah. mapped out in my head. So I hope this comes across semi clearly. But where, where those three characters exist in like a different, like where I'm not saying it's like it goes like new nightmare it, what and then another thing. But but to have them incorporated in a way where they're not necessarily existing in the same world where the murders happen, if you know what I'm saying, it goes new nightmare a little bit. And it tries to blend the idea yeah. that the movies that are really, movies yeah, and the actors are still playing. Yeah, yeah. It, oh, it, it. it gets real freaky. Really, bring that up. 
Yes, yes, Steve Trucking right. Boy. And that was a commenter. Uh, oh, okay, okay. But yeah, no, it, it does go Seed of Chucky a little bit. And I think that's, it's just the way things have been going. Because every scream, you know, the first scream redefined the slasher genre. It did its thing, but it was a slasher at heart. It wasn't mm-hmm. introducing these ideas. Like, Randy was watching Halloween. He wasn't watching a stab movie. It was still an homage to horror right. itself. Then you get to Scream 2, and exactly, they start playing around with the idea that there could be this movie out there and stuff like that. Then you get to Scream 3, and it's 100% about the stab movies. Scream 4 opens with the stab, you know, pile up of bodies. So, I, yeah, I, like, I don't know. Like, I, I really think that could be a way that things go if you really want to go meta-ness. It, I gotta say, that sounds actually really interesting to me. Like, I think it'd be really funny to play with, like, who they are versus Persona. And, like, it'd be, like, you know, it'd be really funny because, like, you know, to see David Arquette switching up within the same movie that he's not doing in real life. Like, I think that'd be really, I would be intrigued by that. Yeah, because, like, Dewey is, like, the me. Quite a bit. I was gonna say, Dewey's, like, the meekish kind of, you know, like, the little little good boy. Yeah, exactly. So then you just have him be a dick off camera and just like be like a, another kind of person. I mean, because uh, yeah, like I, I, I'd like to see like the version of Arquette that's like I'm gonna get in a wrestling ring and bleed a whole bunch. Like, okay, <laughs> like that All could right. be interesting. And it's like to have Nev Campbell in that. I think it'd be really funny. But I also feel like you run into the possibility of it becoming really cynical and in that mm-hmm. way mocking the fans. So I feel like that's. I feel like I need a, a new nightmare rewatch to really, you know, like bake this idea in my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I watch that. And I mean, like, if you, but like, Scream has kind of done the cynicism before because Scream 2 immediately starts with a Star 6 9 reference and a call waiting reference to be like, yo, remember that silly stuff we did in Scream that totally doesn't hold up anymore? Like, yeah. No, no, but that's diff- different than going into like a cynical thing of like judging the fans. Like mocking, oh, judging the fans. Not mocking mm-hmm. the films themselves, I think, is, I think it's smart because it kind of winks to the audience. You're like, no, no, we know and look how we've grown. But uh, I think that there are some franchises that in doing that feel like they're dunking on the fans that like that stuff to begin with instead of being like, no, we're doing something new. It feels like you for liking that. I would be shocked if Radio Silence ever dipped into, like, that territory. Yeah. I think yeah. they would be like, the genre and the franchise to ever come close to doing that. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not afraid of it for them. I just feel like it's tricky. I don't know. It's tricky. I'm, I'm curious. What, what would you like to see in, in a Scream 5, Perry? I honestly don't know. And I feel, I feel like um, as much as I love the franchise and I want it to keep coming back, I feel like the MTV series kind of like, like pushed me off the right path in a way. I don't know. And also because that's the like, first season of that. So that's a big blur for me. That's like the, that's the newest iteration of Scream that's freshest on my brain, even though I rewatch the four movies all the time. That's why I like, I'm like having such a hard time figuring out, figuring out what I would want in a Scream 5. Mm-hmm. What I would want in a Scream 5 that also wouldn't feel like a repeat of what they did with Scream 4. Like where Scream 4 was ahead of its time with the live streaming element. It's like, I don't like I don't know. I don't think we're we're far enough removed from that to just add another layer to that. That's true. You know, I also think because of the reveal on four about who the killer is, how do you like the table's been turned, so how do you turn it again? Unless Sydney's the killer for real this time? I'd like I don't, I don't want to say there's that. no way that would be satisfying because it's all about execution. I'm very much a fan of like there's no such thing as a bad idea because they can have a great execution. But I feel like that would just make me go like that just you makes know, it sound like you're out of ideas. You know what? Two movies that I want to rewatch and, and formulate an idea around. I want to watch back to back New Nightmare and Leslie Vernon. I really Leslie, love Leslie gets it. So I rewatched right. that last year. I think it's still so good. I feel like there's some sort of like mishmash there. That will crack mm-hmm. the code, or maybe I'm just hoping that so I could feel better about the existence of a fifth Scream movie. Yeah, I, I think it just gets real murky because Scream has explored so many things already. They've explored going to the movie set where you're making a scree- a stab movie with the characters, and you've done the meta ness that has driven so deep. So either you have to pull back tremendously, maybe you yeah. just go simplistic again. Maybe you just go back to the original Scream where. I don't know. You just don't worry about going super meta and getting super cute with everything. Or you have to create like an alternate universe where there's different like characters and parallels and all this crazy crap. Cause I mean, I don't, 
how has the thing is that how how has the slasher genre developed since the last scream movie because that's what they're going to be commenting on and like it to hasn't. me it's it gotten, hasn't. I disagree. See, you and I have a disagreement on this because I recently wrote about how I think like, um, what did I write about as being a slasher movie? Oh my God. Why can't I think of it? But I think that the slasher genre has, has branched out into unexpected ways. And it, but that like, we don't necessarily think of as horror. Like, you know, like, I can't think of the movie I wrote about. I wrote about the fact that this one movie is like secretly a slasher movie. Oh, 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 uh, I saw the devil. We're like, I saw the devil, that Korean action movie. Yeah. It's like, it does the slasher thing of like stalking one person, but instead of a final girl, it's a serial killer who is killing all the people. And that's where the body count comes from. And then it's all about how this person, this good guy who is trying to like avenge the death of his girlfriend, who's killed in the opening act. It's all about how he is being dragged down uh, into a completely immoral place by this, this repetition of like, torture and then letting her go and then catching him again and you know it's like he becomes the slasher in this movie yeah so i feel yeah, like there are places that are growing but that's like that's a pretty obscure example because even people who know that movie don't necessarily think of it as a slasher movie yeah well yeah i mean we talk about this all the time where it's like when you talk about the ranks of iconic slashers we haven't really had many new additions it's like yeah. when i think about you know the freddies the jason the jasons out there you know, I think probably one of the most legitimate recent additions would probably be Jigsaw and Sam from Trick or Treat. And then if you want to do a stretch and just I'm I'm also talking about this example just from like a visual perspective. But like the Babadook is probably, you know, it's like if they if they create another line of uh, the Funko mystery minis, like I could see the Babadook being part right. of that. group. But the Babadook isn't a slasher movie. Well, and the only way that slashers, I mean, like the old school slashers, like, sorry, when I say slashers, yeah, I'm referring to like the ones from the 80s and 90s and stuff like that. Because, yes, uh, Scream changed the game to the point it changed the game where indie directors have tried, like Adam Green tried with uh, Victor Crowley to to make oh. a new slasher icon. And I think there are two good movies in there and then it, it fell flat. It never caught on. There's this guy, uh, Chrome Skull, that, uh, that tried to come out of nowhere and he had a interesting first heart it was called laid to rest and um it, it was an interesting first film but again all these people that have been trying to create these iconic horror like the next friday the next right. uh, jason mm-hmm. they haven't caught on it like it, it's just died out and just kind of went down that's but there are yeah. iconic slashers that's yeah. a good point and i think maybe that's even, the meta angle like well like, to even go on that more though someone's international just don't pay attention anymore well, here's the thing. I actually have a thought on that because when I was talking last year with um, Billy Jensen, who is a crime reporter, and he had a book out about how you can like use the community to solve crimes through the internet and all this kind of stuff. And uh, if I were really on top of my shit, I remember the book, and I don't. Sorry. But uh, when we were talking, we were talking about the Golden State Killer, who was recently captured, and we talked about how. Well, I specifically talked about how Ed Gein is essentially why we have slasher movies because the legend of Ed Gein led to the book Psycho, led to the movie Psycho, led to Halloween, led to all this, all these ideas we have of slasher came from Ed, like it started there. So now you have the Golden State Killer who for decades mystified the police and did horrifying things, like not just horrifying things for like horror movies, like that's true crime stuff that is like totally blood curdling. If you read Michelle McNamara's book or listen to the audio book, you won't sleep. It's so upsetting. So I'm curious if now that that story has become more well-known, could that be the next brand of slasher that we see that's very much about home invasion and not necessarily about killing as much as exerting a really sick and twisted sense of control over things? Huh? I would say one more. And like, I have one more last thing on it too. Um, that's, I think that's actually a good idea to go that way with slashers. And that's, I think that might be the way they do go in the future because a slasher to exist in this climate and this uh, society, it needs to not be as ridiculous. It, it's not about anymore. I mean, just go back to the eighties and there was that very seedy nature of like, it's just tits and gore and midnight fun. And it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't work anymore. It's proven that that's not something we do anymore in horror in, the, in that way that. in that. Yeah, exactly. But the international slasher scene has been what's thriving. And I think about movies like Cold Prey, Party Hard, Die Young, Lake Bodum. They're all these like Norwegian Finnish slasher films that have found ways to stay simple and stay to the original slasher formula 
but they've either reinvented the way in characters to portrayed where you actually care about the characters and you're invested or like party hard die young does this great thing where it, it modernizes the slasher scenario to, you know, it's European and it's like high school kids that go on this, you know, crazy party trip, but it finds a way to use the slasher formula in a way that we haven't really seen recently. And I, I think if, if scream is good enough, it can acknowledge in a way the fact that slashers have been thriving. It just hasn't been the American mainstream slasher film that we've been used to. It's been the international slasher films that it's, they're almost a step behind, if you want to call it. But that's almost good in a way because they've found ways to reinvent what we've been doing instead of American slashers trying to reimagine and almost remake what's been done. Right. Do you think that what you're suggesting would line up tonally with what Scream was, though? The original one, in a way, it would be the more simplistic. If you went that route, it's acknowledging the fact that you get back to basics. I think that's the one way it can go. I also just mean in like, like the slight comedic sense too. Oh, they they have comedy. All right. It's it's just not as again. Scream had comedy, but But it it was was interwoven. Right. Very terrifying and vicious too. Right, exactly. That would, right. You know, I think well, two started shifting that, and three went full bore into it. Four brought it back a little bit. It brought it back more into, yeah. the, into the horror world. But Scream at its bones is the same thing with Child's Play. At its bones is always about horror. It just it, it, it evolved how much it was about horror over the years. I'm, like, trying right now to kind of, like, bathe Scream in the tone and style of a ready or not. It's like... I, a- Right. Perfect. The fact that they the, the fact that their claim to fame right now is a film of that style and tone is right. is making me feel better about you know because like you know I know I'm obsessed with Scream and I never want it to be ruined and I want to get the same thing over and over. There is part of me that wants that, but also knows that it has to grow. I just I need I need it to grow in an appropriate direction. Yeah. I think the other thing that they might be able to do that might make it fresh is what was what made ready or not so fun was in part because they were giving us these archetypes of like rich people characters that are so fun to just hate mm. that like watching them get ripped up. You're like, yeah. So like, I think that's going to be part of it is like, what are, what are modern stereotypes? Because that was part of what Scream did so well. Scream was like, these are the stereotypes you're used to. Here's like the, you know, the best friend and like the nerdy hard kid. Here's the, here's the, you know, the blonde girl that like, like is kind of ditzy and whatever. Like, what are the new versions of that that we haven't done a million times yet? Like, that's how you could keep it fresh. And they did that with Scream 4, where it was like, you know, they had, instead of the kid who was obsessed with horror movies, you had the kid who was obsessed with, like, social media and that whole thing. And, you know, um, Kirby was, like, a very modern version of a horror fan where she didn't have to, like, fall into those tropes of being like, nobody likes me, but let me tell you about horror movies. She was like, yeah, I know that stuff. That was also a very good pairing to have with... uh, with Rory Culkin's character too. Totally. Like, it was like, he, he, I think represented that a little more, but then obviously had the killer twist at the end. And she was just a fresh take on that too. So watching the two of them operate side by side and also weaving together like they did. I really like that dynamic. Right. And speaking about a certain kind of uh, tension within fandoms where some people want it to be a community and some people want it to be a competition. Like that wasn't, those were all interesting things that existed within that. And I feel like because of what they did with Ready or Not, I'm curious to see, like with Knives Out or something, what, what are the archetypes we're pulling out of contemporary culture to set up to knock down? I mean, horror evolves with what's going on in the world. And that's, that's always the great thing about it. So I, I think that's an amazing point to say that whatever Scream 5 does is going to pull from what we know in a way we probably wouldn't expect. Man, I can't wait until we get more news to work with right now. And I can't believe what time it is. Guys, I got to go. I'm going to miss my Invisible Man interviews. It's not important. Um, but seriously. All right, well, you can leave. And Matt and I are going to continue. Yeah, the show. we'll keep this going for a good another 30 minutes. <laughs> I found that that works absolutely fine. Um, but thank you guys so much for jumping on. Last minute warning. And also, again, thank you for keeping it going when whatever was happening here was going down. Because I don't know what that was. Super Just rolling with the punches. I seem to be okay. Could you try again? What What's happening? What's going on? These are all good omens. That's what's happening. Haley apparently was able to keep like 
evil spirits away from you and without her here do you, know do you know what my watch says right now it says i don't know what what made it go off but it says here's what i found marvin gay what's going on what's happening i need to i need to sign off um, before we say goodbye though please matt first tell everybody what you're working on and where they can find it and christy i know you have something really cool that you could tell everybody about so you go next okay okay I will. You can find me at Donatabom on uh, in Twitter. Insta, uh, wow, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterbox. I almost said Instabox. I don't know. That's a, let's just mix them all up there. Yeah, uh, you can find my writing at places like Slash Film, Blade, Disgusting, Nerdist, and things of that nature. But I'll put it all on my Instagram and Twitter. So just follow along, Christy. Hi. I write all over the place. I write for Pajiba every day, but you can keep up with me on Twitter at Christy Puchka. That's K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. And on Saturday, May 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm doing a special live read uh, with some wonderful colleagues of mine. We're going to perform Knives Out on YouTube. You can go to youtube.com slash A-F-I- so eight. Uh, you can also go to my Twitter. The details are there. I'm very excited because I'm playing Chris Evans. Boom, boom. Eat shit. Wait, do you have your sweater picked out? I have. I have options. I'm very excited. I have. Like, of course, you have options. We did Clue a couple of weeks ago, and it was super fun. I got to play Mrs. White, and it was a dream. And uh, I was very excited to be cast as Ransom Drysdale or Thromby. No, Drysdale. Yeah, because he's not. Because his dad, right? Uh, Ransom Dr- Drysdale. I'm very excited. I have I have plans to be as uh, as in my ransomness as I can. So I'm very ma- a match made in heaven. Yeah, and it's also going to be a fundraiser. We're donating money to a Toronto food bank. Which uh, basically, if you tune in, you like what we're doing, you can donate money, and that'd be cool. So yeah. Uh, that's what I'm up to right now. Um, so, guys, go check all of that out. You got a lot of homework to do now. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PNamroff. And if you go on Instagram, you can see my beautiful pizza because that was a thing that happened. Next week, we've got the Greg Nicotero episode, so keep an eye out for that. He showed us some crazy cool stuff in his studio that you are not going to want to miss. So that's it for now. Look forward to that next week. And you have officially survived the witching hour. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.